Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. You're about to hear a message from Pastor Dennis Vardy called Heaven on Earth, and it speaks about how over and over again throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus introduces parables with these words, the kingdom of heaven is like. So what does the expression kingdom of heaven mean? How is it relevant to our lives today? And what do the parables tell us about living a life relevant to the kingdom of heaven? Find out and enjoy today's message. Well, we're continuing our series, Heaven on Earth. This, this summer, my wife Leslie and I rode our trike of a trike and rode it down to Drumheller to meet with family um, and spend the night. And, and it was during the heat wave. And you, of course, you always want to go to Drumheller in the middle of a heat wave. Um, you know, I don't know how we got that idea. But anyway, what we, we go down there, hanging out, all that good stuff. And then later in the evening, we're going back to our hotel, parking. And in the midst of that, this fellow walks over and begins to have a conversation about, you know, the trike. And, and of course, this happens all the time. Somebody comes over, they talk about that, and then they want to share their motorcycle story. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, well, I got a motorcycle story too. So, um, so he starts talking about, about the details of why he's not riding right now and the accident that took place that involved doing speed in excess of 90 miles an hour, uh, the bike dropping, him rolling for a ridiculously long period of time and, uh, and distance. And I, I don't have all, all of the, you know, de- I'll spare you all the details, but at any rate, in, in the midst of all of this story, uh, oh, oh, so he rolls, he gets up, he's, he's like covered in road rash and, and then decides he should go to his dad's farm and get in the pond to cool down, which I thought did not sound like something advised by Alberta Health whatsoever, in case you have road rash. But nevertheless, anyway, he's, he's, this whole story is unfolding. And, and as, he's, as he's telling me this horrific story, I, I'm like, this, what's going through my thoughts was, it's a miracle that you're alive. I mean, seriously, with all the details he's given me. And then he kind of comes to a point where he stops and he says, you know, really, it's a miracle that I'm alive. And, and I thought, well, you just said what I was thinking. But then I felt like prompted to say something else, which was, yeah, I, I was thinking the exact same thing. Now you need to discover why God still has you alive. And we didn't have a, like a lot of time, you know, whatever to get into the whole deal, but, but I was able to at least say, listen, I, you know, I really believe Jesus has a purpose for your life. You're still alive for a reason, but you gotta get to know him to find out the reason. And I just proceeded to tell him about Alpha and how that Alpha's online and, you know, which is a great option, by the way. And you get in conversations and you're, you've been there, I've been there, where it's like, man, I need like two more hours, but that's not gonna happen but I can direct somebody to an Alpha website, let them you know, watch uh, the videos, hopefully that answers questions. I can give them at least something they could do, find a church that's presenting Alpha, whatever. I talked about that with them and just believe them for the best. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 47 says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they pulled it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and remove the wicked from among the righteous and they will throw them into furnaces of fire 
in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice how, how black and white this, this parable is. It's not, a, it's not a parable where you read it and you go, oh, what, what, what did he really mean? You know, it's like, it's so clear. It's so clear. There's no confusion. There's the sea of humanity. There's one net cast into that sea that can bring the fish in. The fish come, and there's only two types of fish. There's not a whole bunch of them, just two. And then there's this separation of who qualifies to go in the good basket and the bad basket. It's like this parable speaks of the clarity of the gospel, but it also speaks of the exclusivity of the gospel. The exclusivity of the gospel. One net is cast into the sea of humanity, just one. The gospel is exclusive. The gospel is exclusive. Uh, exclusive means there's nothing like it in the world. Nothing. There's nothing close to the gospel at all. You maybe have heard people say, oh, religions are the same. Those are people that don't read books, okay? Because if they read the gospel, they would realize there is nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is exclusive. Jesus said it was. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He did not say, I'm our way. I am a truth. Uh, I have some life. No, he said, I'm it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said this, no one comes to the Father except through me. Whoa, Jesus, are you saying you're exclusive? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. The apostles preached it. Acts chapter four and verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. The prophets predicted it. Acts 10, 43. All the prophets testified of him, Jesus, that through his name, Jesus' name, Everyone who believes in him, Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins. What makes the gospel so exclusive? That is, aside from Jesus saying it was, and the apostles preaching that it was, and the prophets prophesying that it was, what makes the gospel so exclusive is the fact that it's also so unique. It's so unique. The scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And that sin has to be paid for by death to satisfy that wage, to satisfy that debt. Sin is unique. Sin is what brings death to a relationship with God. In fact, in Isaiah, it says this. It says that God doesn't have like short reach that he can't get to you. But then it says this but your sin has caused a separation between you and God. In other words, the gap between you and God because of sin is too big to be overcome just by sort of reaching. It's just speaking to this separation that gets caused by sin from God's presence. That's really the death, the spiritual death. God instituted the sacrificing of animals to make atonement for sin, to make payment for sin. 
And throughout Judaism, as you read the Old Testament, that's what they would do. They would sacrifice animals over and over and over to atone for sin. It would atone, but it wouldn't remove. The New Testament affirms the need for blood sacrifice. It's affirmed, of course, in Leviticus, but also in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9, 22, where it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, no forgiveness. But what animal sacrifices could not do is make a final payment for all sin, nor could it deliver you from sinful habits. It only satisfied the legal side of sin. That's why the Old Testament is filled with sacrifice after sacrifice. And if this is the sin, this is the sacrifice. And if this is the sin, this is the sacrifice. And it just goes on and on. And it was just this regular, ongoing occurrence. Then Jesus comes to become the final sacrifice. He was spoken about, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. One sacrifice for all time, for all people. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11 says, every priest, speaking of the Old Testament, speaking of Jewish priests, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, speaking of Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Jesus, dying on the cross, was the perfect, if you will, lamb of God or perfect sacrifice for all sin, for all of mankind, forever. How could he do that? How, how could Jesus do that? Well, first of all, he was sinless. So when Jesus goes to the cross, he's not dying for his sin. He's got no guilt. He has no blame. He is sinless. He's, he's absolute innocence. And second of all, because he was God. He proved his deity and he proved his purity both through the resurrection, through the resurrection. It was not only a miracle by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was raised from the grave, but it was also just since he had never sinned. It was only right that the grave could not hold Jesus because he had never sinned. The impact of the message of the gospel is unique as well, absolutely. When people receive Jesus into their life, they have an experience the Bible calls being born again. That is, that separation from God is eliminated, they're forgiven, their conscience is clean, they have a brand new start in life. That's what the born again experience is all about. When they receive Jesus, you receive the assurance of faith. That is the confidence. The Bible calls it peace with God. In other words, there's no wondering, does God accept me? Does God forgive me? The Bible says in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's none of that. It's all settled. I receive forgiveness and the assurance of faith. 
We receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of God's very presence into our lives. Furthermore, the gospel is progressive in our life. Bible says that God has predetermined to make us into the image of Jesus. That is, he is working in your life, he's working in my life to make me more like Christ. And he has a purpose and destiny for our lives. These things are unique. It's exclusive because it's unique. The gospel message is not about what you do to reach God, but what God did to reach you. That's the message that is only found, listen to me, only found in Christianity. That's it. It's the only place. It's absolutely unique. And it's absolutely exclusive. The gospel's exclusive. But the gospel is also inclusive. It's inclusive. Inclusive means this. It's meant for everybody. It's meant for everybody. The net gets cast into the ocean of humanity to pick up every kind of fish. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, go therefore, after his resurrection, before his ascension, these are his final words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. God desires, and Peter says, none to perish, but everybody to come to repentance. That is, change their mind. Believe in Jesus. In John's vision of heaven in, in the book of Revelations, Revelation chapter five, verse nine. You always know it's a good sermon when the book of Revelations is referred to in the sermon. Okay, moving on. It says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and break its seals for you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Wow. Why does he break it down that way? Well, I think that God's trying to say something here, and that is, it's inclusive, like totally inclusive, like no exceptions kind of inclusive. He says every nation. Last I checked, geographically, there's like 195 different countries in the world. He says every, every tribe. What's a tribe? It's a subgroup within a nation. That is, a subgroup can be a group of people who have like a common descent. So they're like a tribe within a nation. Well, what about peoples? What's that all about? Well, actually, even within a tribe, there can be subgroups within a tribe. So for instance, you could be a Canadian living in Nigeria, okay? And, and so being Canadian is your tribe, but... You might actually be a subgroup of peoples. That is, you might be French Canadian. And so it's like every way you can divide it, God says, no, no, that's included too. And then he finally says this, and every tongue. It's like God's given us this description of everybody in the world, and he says, in case I missed anybody, no matter what your language is, you're in, okay? That's what he does. He just is all inclusive. It's exclusive, but it's inclusive. Do you know there's something like 3,181 people groups that are considered right now unengaged. Let me, let me explain unengaged. There's unreached and there's unengaged. Unreached people groups are ones that have like less than 2% are Christian, but they still they have a church that is actually evangelizing those, those people. Whereas unengaged means they don't even have a church. They don't even have a church. 3,181. 
218 of them don't even have a missionary working on it. There are 3,969 languages in the world that do not have the Bible in their own language. Jesus said that the gospel will go to the whole world before his return. You gotta know there's still work to be done. Heaven is a multicultural place because the gospel is inclusive of all peoples. Everyone, everywhere needs Jesus. The gospel message is for all people for all time. The gospel works regardless of who you are or where you're from. Now, since the gospel is exclusive, it must be our conviction, not just our preference. Let's talk, let's talk now about application. We've, talked, we've given information, and you might already have known some of that information, but I wanna to talk to you about application. The gospel is exclusive, but it must become our conviction, not just our preference. It's not like you can, you can look at all the faces in the world and you know, pick one off the shelf like it's a pair of shoes. It's exclusive. That means it stands alone. It doesn't get thrown into the pile. Exclusivity means it must become a conviction to live by. The message of Jesus is not simply our opinion or our preference or our culture. The message of Jesus is to be our conviction. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5 talks about the preaching of the gospel, and they preach with power and the Holy Spirit, and then it says this, with full conviction. Full conviction. That is, they were absolutely sure that Jesus had risen from the grave and that he was the promised Messiah. They were absolutely certain about their message. That, that's what full conviction is about. The gospel of Jesus isn't a preferred message. It's to be our conviction, our conviction. You see, if we lose sight of it being exclusive, then it stops being a conviction and it becomes a preference or, or perhaps just the culture we were brought up in. And when that happens, you, you can have the appearance of Christianity, but you've lost its power. You've lost influence. What I just shared with you is a biblical view of Jesus and the message of the gospel. Probes Religious Views and Practices, a survey done in 2020, and it was done stateside, shows a striking decline in evangelical practices and beliefs in the last 10 years. They were asked the question in this survey, do you have a biblical uh, view of Christ? That is that, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that Jesus' death on the cross was for the atonement of mankind, and that Jesus did promise that he was going to return. 18 to 29 years of age, these, oh, these, by the way, were born-again evangelicals being asked this question. In the age group, 18 to 29, 50% said they believed that. 50%. In other words, we got people that are 18 to 29 claiming to be born-again Christ followers, and only half of them actually believe the biblical version of who Jesus is and his message. 30 to 39 was like 48%. 
40 to 55, it gets bigger, 62%. Now imagine if they had interviewed older age groups, they would find the number would go higher. What's also conflicting is the belief that Jesus died to atone for the sins of the world. Something like 85% of born-again evangelicals said, yes, I believe Jesus died for the sins of the world. But when asked if Jesus is the only way, the belief that Jesus was the only way ranged from 80% all the way down to 60%, the younger age group being the lower number. Too many people calling themselves born-again evangelicals are treating the gospel as a preference, not a conviction. Too many of what is called born-again evangelicals see Jesus as an option, not God's son who died for the world. It's a conviction, not a preference. You see, a conviction should never change. Well, preferences, well, they're always changing. But convictions, convictions never change if it becomes a conviction. Convictions are what you live by regardless of the cost to do so, while preferences are, are embraced when it's convenient, when it's convenient. Convictions will hold their ground when they're opposed, while, while preferences are just easily, easily shifted easily shifted. This is why we have Christian martyrs. We have people around the world, and it happens even today, that die for their faith because their faith in Jesus isn't a preference that shifts under pressure, but a conviction that endures regardless of what's going on. Conviction should lead your life while your preferences are negotiable. And, and here's, here's a couple more that are kind of the crux of the matter, and that is this. First of all, when I treat my preferences like convictions, I just create unnecessary conflict. We all have preferences, but you know, when people treat their preferences like it's a conviction, they just end up with arguing with people all the time. Well, this is the way I like it. This is what I want. This is where we're going to eat. I don't care what you want to do. You know, they're just treating their preferences like convictions. Don't, don't do that. But here's, here's the second part of that. When I treat what should be a conviction as though it is a preference, I've lost sight of what really matters. When I treat as what should be a conviction as though it is a preference, I lost sight, I lose sight of what really matters. And, and so this happens with the gospel. People stop treating the gospel as this exclusive, as this thing there to have a conviction in, and instead their gospel becomes their preference. And when that happens, you have hypocrisy in the church, you have moral failure, and here's the biggest one. You lose your influence that you're supposed to have that was given to us by God, that we're called to live in by Jesus. This is what happens when the gospel is treated like a preference. It loses influence. It is meant to have both in your life and through your life. I think I've heard that phrase somewhere else, but we'll move on. All right, how do we honor the exclusivity of the gospel? How do we do that? Well, we do that by living an inclusive life, an inclusive life. You see, the accusation against the message of Jesus is that, you know, it's intolerant because it's exclusive. 
Uh, so the idea becomes that you should become more tolerant um, in order to be inclusive. In other words, compromise on the gospel, uh, remove the exclusivity so we just include everybody and it doesn't matter and it doesn't matter what road you take, it all goes to the same place. That is garbage and your wife can tell you that because you've done that with your car. any rate, moving right along. Cultural pluralism is good and cultural pluralism is necessary. We should accept everyone everywhere and treat them all as part of God's creation. Can you say amen? amen. Good. However, the idea that all beliefs are equally true at the same time is completely illogical and self-contradictory. This isn't showing tolerance and inclusivity, this is just a failure in basic logic. And though the gospel is exclusive in its theology, it is intentionally inclusive socially. George Barna, a group of other states that does Christian surveys, among other things, but uh, their group did one not too long ago and said this, almost all practicing Christians believe that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus, like this is like in the high 90s, the percentage, and that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus. That's great. Goes on to say this, millennials in particular feel equipped to share their faith with others. For instance, almost three quarters say that they know how to respond when somebody raises a question about their faith and that they are gifted at being able to share their faith with other people. That's also good. Despite this, many millennials are unsure about the actual practice of evangelism. And almost half of them agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Whoa, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So on one hand, you believe Jesus is the greatest thing that can happen in somebody's life. You know, on one hand, you're saying, man, I believe that, you know, Jesus is the son of God, all that good stuff. You know, you're saying all that, greatest thing could ever happen, but, but don't tell anybody about it. So you believe the gospel message, you acknowledge that the greatest experience would be coming to know Christ, but you don't believe in practicing inclusivity by sharing your faith with people around you. Furthermore, you're saying that we should not follow Jesus in regards to sharing the message of the gospel, which is completely contrary to the last words he said before his ascension. And you gotta know, when it's the last words of Jesus before his ascension, it might be something really important to follow. Why would people feel like it's somehow wrong to help someone find Christ regardless of their current belief system when the stakes are just too high not to reach out? Ephesians chapter two and verse 12 says, remember that you were at, at that time separate from Christ. And it goes on and says this, describing what it means to, to live separate from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. No hope and without God in the world. Listen, to believe that it's wrong to evangelize, you might as well rip the whole book of Acts out of your Bible. When does it become acceptable to leave someone with no hope and without God over fear 
of possible offense or, or some you know, argument over the gospel. The notion of being politically correct or living in constant fear of possibly offending someone is spineless and, and absolutely unbiblical. Perhaps too much of our Christianity is actually more cultural than it is a conviction. Cultural. It's about traditions with our family. We go to church. It's about enjoying my Christian fellowship and enjoying God answering my prayers. Yet we lack the conviction necessary to actually fulfill the mission of the gospel and reach out to others. Or perhaps it's because even though we feel that we have a handle on the gospel, we're so concerned about cultural acceptance and that we don't want to take a risk that there might be an offense to share. You know, we've heard so much about tolerance from um, what is obviously a very intolerant world around us that I believe it's just, it's like people have bought into this tolerance uh, thing uh, to a point where it's almost treated like it's some kind of biblical standard. You know, when did it become the mission of the church to be nice, never say anything that someone might disagree with? It's not, it's not what I see going on in the Bible. I'm not talking about being rude or, or being stupid, but I am talking about just simply sharing what you believe. Freedom of speech has become freedom to only say what others will agree with. We need to remind ourselves that not only is the message of Jesus exclusive, but listen, so is the delivery system. Do you know that? You are the delivery system. If you're born again, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are God's delivery system for this message. Romans says, how will they hear without a, without a preacher? You are God's plan A and there is no plan B. That also needs to become a conviction, not just a suggestion in our lives. Doing life realizing that you have an exclusive life message, an exclusive life-changing message that you might actually be the only person with opportunity to share it with another. Barna's article goes on to say this. David Kinneman, the president of Barna Group, says this study highlights a need for Christians to bolster their confidence in certain convictions. Among them, the belief that evangelizing others is good and worthy of our time, energy, and investment. That's why we're doing something like we're doing next week. You know, just giving out candy, loving on the neighborhood, getting it, starting conversations, just being people who say, hey, you know what? We love you, we care about you, we welcome you. Cultivating deep, steady, resilient Christian conviction, Kinnaman concludes, as much as ever, evangelism isn't just about saying saving the unsaved, but reminding ourselves that this stuff matters, that the Bible is trustworthy, and that Jesus changes everything. You know, our chat in that hotel parking lot this summer could have been just another motorcycle conversation. Um, but, but when you have a conviction about the gospel, you will do one of two things. You will open doors to create conversations, do that lots, or 
you will walk through doors that appear. In this case, that was what happened. It was like, this is, this is obvious. This is like a no-brainer to walk through this door and engage a spiritual conversation. But the point about, about it is this. As you build conviction about the exclusivity of the gospel, it sets your life on mission that you will not overlook what really matters. Would you stand with me as we, as we take time to pray? I'm gonna pray for you in just a minute, but first of all, I need to give you like homework. And um, this is what you need to do for the rest of your life. <laughs> you say, when will I have my homework done? When you die and go to heaven. Um, but I want you to start it this week. Uh, the Bible actually has warnings about hearing information and not doing something about it. This is not a message to discuss. You know, Jesus, Jesus didn't say, I want you to go into all the world and talk about preaching the gospel. He said, go out and, and, and talk to people, share your faith. And so my homework that needs to start like immediately is for you to be an initiator and start spiritual conversation. For you to be an initiator and let somebody know that you go to church. Invite them to come. They can come in person. They can come online. Let them know, reach out. You know, find out where their experiences are at, listen to them. Don't just share yourself, but listen to them. Find out where they're at. Get to know people around you and where they're at in any kind of spiritual journey. Some, some people around you don't even know that you're a Christian and that they can come to you and say, I know you're a Christian. Would you pray for my family? That's a starting place. It's a starting place. My prayer is that this wouldn't just be like, Okay, pastor, I listened to the message and I did that, I'm done. No, no, no. That this becomes a conviction rooted in you that translates into a lifestyle of living on mission, on mission. Be intentional, start conversations. Be intentional to be inclusive in your life. Not to, not to you know, the gospel is exclusive, but you're not to be. And that's the problem is that we have an exclusive gospel, but then we have exclusive Christianity where the only people we know are already Christ followers. God says, no, my gospel is exclusive, but I need you to be inclusive so that others can receive the benefit of this exclusive message. Father in heaven, thank you for everyone who's here. Thank you, God, for this time we've had to talk about such an important subject, such a vital parable that you shared. Jesus, my prayer is that for those who may have treated your gospel like a preference, may they shift today and may it become a conviction. May it become something that goes deep into their spirit and into their heart that with full conviction, just as the apostles did and the early church did, we would reach out and share Jesus. We would look for and create opportunities to be a witness for you. Father, I thank you for beginning something this week that will go on for the rest of our lives. I wanna pray one more prayer, and that is maybe you're here and um, for the first time, or maybe again, but it came out clear this time. You just heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just realized that the way to a relationship with the Heavenly Father is made in this one solitary person, Jesus.
And this is your moment where you can respond to him. This is your moment where you can say yes to him, where you can invite him into your life, confess him, the Bible says, as your Lord and Savior. And whether you've done that and walked away or whether you've never done it, you're invited to pray this prayer with us and those who are watching online as well. Would you join us? Those who would say, man, this is what I need to do. I need to get in fellowship with God. I need Jesus Christ to be not just the Savior of the world, but my Savior. Pray this along with me if you would. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me and rose again that I would have a new life. I ask you to forgive my past and I confess you as my Savior and as the Lord of my life. I'll follow you with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from our series, Heaven on Earth. If you're wanting to know more about Celebration Church or you would like to partner with us financially, visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and follow us on our Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Come back next week to hear another great message.